Many times people will ask, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why, why, is, why is this turmoil going on in my life or in the life of someone else? Or, In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, about, well, about a month and a half ago now, um, we handed out the, the end of the year surveys for the church. And the beauty of uh, the surveys is that we don't know who answers them. We don't know how they answer them. We just know what they write down on the paper, and that's about it. And I don't know who wrote it. Uh, I'm not a handwriting analysis person. You don't have to worry. You know, Someone asked one time, well, won't you know who writes the questions in the question box from the handwriting? Okay, listen, there are about 100 of y'all. The fact that I would memorize your handwriting. <laughs> okay, so I don't know who wrote it, but one person wrote this. I don't know why... It seems like we're, we're kind of down in the dumps lately because I still think that Warm Springs Road is a strong congregation. We're stronger now than we've ever been. And I agree. There's questions of not just here, but, but all over the world. Why, why, is, why does it seem like, you know, the, the world is just going away from God? Slowly and surely, we're just moving away from God. There's questions of why is this turmoil happening or this this depression happening, so forth. First Peter is the book that's written for that cause. I mean, we've talked about over and over and over again that this book is written because of a uh, because of uh, persecution. At the end of Acts chapter seven, Stephen is persecuted. He's killed. He's martyred for the faith. And then after that, this man named Saul picks up the helm, as it were, and he's going to he's going to make an end of this thing called Christianity once and for all. And so he goes around and he's got letters from the religious council that say he can go into any house, if it's a Jewish house. You see, at this point, they didn't have to worry about Gentiles because Acts 10 hadn't happened, and so Gentiles aren't in the church yet. And so the Sanhedrin is charge of, in charge of Jewish people. And so the Sanhedrin writes him a letter that says, I, you can go in any house. This is an open search warrant. You go in any house that's a Jewish house, they claim to be Christians, you take them and you put them in jail. And we will determine what happens to them then. The fact is that the Jews were not killing Christians for the most part in, in wide numbers. They, they just weren't doing it. What they were doing is they were putting us in prison. The problem is, it was a Roman prison, which meant if you didn't die from, from lack of nutrition or some disease that you caught in prison you were probably going to be there long enough that you would give up whatever you were in prison for. So the Jews weren't killing Christians. They were persecuting us. And so Saul goes around in Acts chapter 9. He's converted. We'll turn to the book of Acts here in just a minute. But you see, that persecution that started at the hands of Saul and the hands of the Jews and the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 and 8 is the reason why Peter writes the book of 1 Peter. And at the end of the book, 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 12, he says this. Well, let's back up and get the whole picture. Verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Resist him, firm in the faith. Resist who? The devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace of the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. 
Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, that sounds beautiful, right? He ends this short book. He's written short because it's in the face of persecution. And the last thing that we need, the last thing that someone needs when they're going through a difficult time, whether it's questioning their faith, questioning their God, questioning why this is happening and so forth, the last thing they need is for somebody to just stand there and talk to them for an hour and a half. When someone passes away and you go to the family, and the family says something like this, why did God take them from me? Why did this happen to him or her? Why, 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 why? The last thing they need you to do is to answer the question. And that's what Peter's dealing with. He's dealing with a church who has lost loved ones, not through death, but through persecution. Now their family has turned their backs on them. Thanksgiving is no more because they don't have a family to go to. It's just, it's, they're, they're on their own, as it were. And it feels like they're on their own. And so he's writing to them, and he writes it very quickly. The book of 1 Peter, I just wanted to see... If it, was, if it was the case. So this morning, I went to the coffee shop, as I usually do on Sunday mornings, and I sat down with my Bible, and I read the entire book of First Peter. Now, I'll grant that I am somewhat of a quick reader, but I read the entire book of First Peter, all five chapters, in about 15 minutes. And I was trying to go as slow as I possibly could to let it sink in. First Peter can be read in about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how fast you read. It's pretty short. It's not like the book of Romans, you know. It's a couple hours of deep, deep theological thought and study. No, Peter writes First Peter very quickly. And the reason is because he, he has something to deal with. He's dealing with this, this pain that's going into their minds. He's, he's dealing with the questions of their faith. He's dealing with the question of why is this happening to me. Turn to First Peter chapter 1. I want to read how he, we, we read how he ended the book. I want to read how he started the book because everything in the middle, the passages about converting your spouse, the passages about submitting to the eldership, submitting to the, your, your bosses, to you, if you're a slave, submitting to your master, submitting to the government, submitting to everyone, keeping your mind pure, keeping your speech pure, all the passages in the middle are bookended by 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 5. That are a complete thought. So are you ready for this? Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience, that word for is unto, unto obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with, this, with his blood, may grace, peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Be sober, chapter 5, verse 8, because the devil's looking for you. He's, he's trying to figure out how he can get you He's, he's, not, he's not the smartest, but he's also not the dumbest. He knows what he's doing, and he's coming for you. 
And so you need to be careful. You need to be guard, guarding your heart, guarding your mind. Because this persecution is doing something. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that God did this for the sanctification of the body of Christ. Whether it's depression, whether it's questioning your faith, whether it is questioning why God would allow something to happen, and so forth. God never sends horrible things to a person. That is a misunderstanding, a misapplication of Scripture, and a misunderstanding of who God is. The question of, why did God do this to me? God didn't do it. Okay, We understand that, but we don't need to answer that question when a person is deep in the midst of questioning like that. But we understand God didn't do this to them. God, God does not send horrible things to us. But, 1 Peter chapter 5 says, that God will allow it for one specific purpose. And that is so that we get stronger. Peter, to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Cappadocia, Galatia, Bithynia, so forth. I'm writing this to you because you need to realize that what you are going through, this persecution you're going through, this pain and grief that you're going through, this questioning of your faith that you're going through, has been allowed by God, not caused by God, but allowed by God because He knows that it will do one thing, and that is make you stronger in your faith. 1 Corinthians says it like this. To anyone who thinks he stands alone, needs to take heed lest he fall, because there's no temptation that has come to man that isn't common to man. You see, we go through the same thing that everyone else goes through. But the reason why God allows it to happen to us he could stop it. He could stop the, the marriages being broken. He could stop the, the, the deaths. He could stop these things. He absolutely could. The atheist asks, why does God not stop it? And the reason he doesn't stop it is for one of two reasons. Number one, it's because he's given us the free will. And the fact is that a lot of times the, what we are going through is because of the sin of other people. We pay the consequences for other people's sins on a daily basis. He could stop it, but that means he's got to take away their free will. He's got to make them into a robot so that they'll obey him so that we can live a peaceful life. See, that doesn't make any sense. Number two, there's no temptation that is overtaking you that is not common to man, but God will make a way of escape, 1 Corinthians says. See, he's given us the way out. The fact is that he allowed it to happen so that we could get ourselves out of it. So that we could be strong enough. So that we could strengthen ourselves to the point where we can get through whatever we're going through. And so, he writes 1 Peter. And he says, whatever is happening, the persecution that you're going through, the, the tremendous grief and pain and depression that you're going through, is because God knows that you will make it out stronger if you don't lose sight. You see, sometimes pain is the best teaching method that God could ever use to teach us that we need to buck up and get our faith in order. I mean, you look at some of the, the, the giants of the faith in the Old Testament. People always question Psalm 51 and verse 5. Peter, or, sorry, David. David is writing Psalm 51 
And in verse 5, he says this, something to the effect of, my mother conceived me in sin. And we'll question that over and over again. Does that mean that, that David was somehow conceived in an, in an adulterous relationship, in a fornication mind, uh, situation? Or does that mean that, does that, mean that David is, is born in sin, that, that he's a Calvinist? No, n- neither one. David has just suffered the loss of a, of a son because of his own sins. His son paid the consequences for David's sins. And he realizes it, and he's depressed. And he's questioning everything that has ever happened. And he's, he says, I've, I've just, it's like I can't do any, have you all, you all ever heard someone say this that's depressed or, or going through something like this? I can't do anything right. That's not true. We understand that, right? On the other side, we understand that, yeah, you might have messed up. You might have sinned. You might have just made a simple mistake. But it doesn't feel like that when you're in the middle of it. Peter's writing to them because of that very fact. And so he writes something in 1 Peter chapter 5 that I think all of us need to read again. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Exhorting. The word exhorting there is the same word as in Hebrews 10 and verse 25. The reason why we're gathered together in worship is so that Lee can sweat bullets up here. Man alive, it's hot. All right, no. The reason why we're gathered together in worship is for this reason. Not neglecting the gathering together of ourselves, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. Encouraging one another. You want to know why God set up the church so that we could have worship services? We could do this by ourselves, right? person goes on vacation and asks, do I really have to go to worship services? Yes. You know why? Because it's not, it's not just to check a box. You're not going to worship because you can't do this at your home. You could take some grape juice and a cracker and you could take the Lord's Supper. You could sing by yourself at your home with your family. You could do everything. You could study the scriptures by yourself at home with your family. The reason why he gave us worship services, the reason why he commanded us to give us worship services is because he knows what's better for us than we know what's better for us. And we need worship services so that we can be encouraged by each other. That means that we're supposed to encourage each other when we come here. Not walk in, be quiet, sit down, not talk to anyone, keep our head down, walk out as soon as possible. No, it means he gave us this to lift one another up, to encourage one another. And Peter says, my book is meant to do the exact same thing, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's my favorite passage to talk about at a funeral. That we need to encourage one another in the loss of this loved one because they're not here anymore and they can't strengthen us. And so they've left it to us to encourage one another, especially during this hard time. I could go and preach a whole funeral sermon right here. But you want to know what? The word in Second Corinthians 1 and verse 3 is the same word here. That he is the God of all comfort. You see, we need God and we need each other to comfort each other in the times of loss, in the times of grief, in the times of persecution. 
times of questioning our faith. And that means that we need to, we need to do something. We can't, we can't just pass each other in the hallway and say we've worshipped. Because we're missing the point of worship if we do that. But then he goes on and he says something else. I've written exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Grace, unmerited favor. The idea that God gives us something that we don't deserve. What is the true grace of God? And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, comfort, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The true grace of God is persecution. The true grace of God is exactly what the Christians are going through in Acts chapter 9, 10, and 11. It's the same thing. You see, the persecution from the Jews was sent to the church because of God's grace. Oftentimes we think that the grace of God is the lovey-dovey stuff, right? It's the stuff that makes us feel good. Well, that's true. But the only way you can get to that point is through, is through hardship. Without hardship, the good times don't seem that great. Without, without depression... The happy times don't seem that happy. And so Peter says that this, what you're going through, is the grace of God. Not just baptism, not salvation, but the ability to come out on the other side stronger than we are right now. See, a lot of times pain comes because God is allowing it so that we can have one purpose. And that is 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 12, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. We have, to, we have to make it through so that we can be stronger. Now in Acts chapter 11, this, this comes to a head. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. The church at Antioch here is, is, is going through the same thing that, that Peter's talking about. Verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus, or Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now we, we gloss over this, but I just want to remind us who Barnabas is. Barnabas is not his real name. Barnabas is his nickname. It means the son of encouragement, son of consolation. You see, why did the church at Jerusalem send Barnabas? Every time there's a church established, we talked about it in Bible class. Every time there's a church established, and it's not established by an apostle, the church sends an apostle to that city so that they can receive the miraculous gifts. But why does the church send Barnabas, who's not an apostle, who can't give the miraculous gifts, to the church at Antioch? It's very simple, because that's not what they needed right then. What they needed was the son of encouragement to get there, and to encourage them, because these Christians have been thrown out of their homes, lost their families, lost their 
ways of living, lost everything that... I wish that Christians today could look at the Christians in the first century and understand that what we understand as giving stuff up for the gospel is not even close to what they had to do. I think, I think we need to realize that what our brothers and sisters had to go through in the first century was, was much, much more catalyzing than, than what we have to go through. You see, their, their loss, their grief, encouraged them more and more. And so Barnabas is sent to Antioch because these people have been kicked out of their homes. They've been, they're running for their lives because there's a man named Saul. They don't know that Saul is baptized at this point. They don't know that Saul has been converted. It's going to be a long time before anybody understands that Paul's been converted. They're running for their lives because they know Saul could be walking through the door the next day. And they send Barnabas to encourage him because... When Barnabas gets there, he sees the grace of God. He sees what loss, what grief can actually do to a person's faith. It didn't make them give up. What it did to the Christians in Antioch is they started going to the Jews. And there were some people from Cyprus and Cyrene who went to the Hellenists, to the Greeks. And when Barnabas gets there, he sees what real hardship in the church can do. Not make people question. People want, we fight over and over again on the political stage and on every stage that we can find to make Christianity as easy to get a hold of in our culture as possible. We don't want laws that are going to stifle Christianity. We don't want a culture that that questions Christianity. But what Barnabas saw when he got there was those laws and that culture that stifles and questions Christianity is exactly what the Christians needed. I'm not here to tell you how to vote or anything else. What I'm here to do is is remind us that that when people question the faith, that's when we get stronger. When we question the faith, that's when we get stronger. And so Peter writes this book, the entire book of 1 Peter, and he says that this is the grace of God, that what you're going through has the potential, if you'll allow it, to make you stronger in your faith than you ever have been, make other people stronger in their faith than they've ever been, because they can see you, they can understand who you are. I mean, that's what the majority of the book is about. How do we treat other people when we're going through these times? Well, wives, if you want to convert your husbands, here's how you treat them. Husbands, if you want to convert your wives, here's how you treat them. If you want to convert your masters, if you're a slave and you want to convert your master, here's how to treat them. Because in our strength, in the church's strength, people will see that and they'll be intrigued. But you see, it's when, it's when the church is, is soft that people start to just, people just... Don't care. The church was growing. The churches of Christ was growing in the 1940s and 50s more than any other time. And preachers and and statisticians will try to figure out why that happened. And I know exactly why it happened. It's because that's when we were having debates. That's when Christians, that's when... 
The rumors were that if you needed a question about the Bible answer, you went to the Christians. That's not because they were just so high and mighty and they were such great Christians. It's because they were the outcast. The members of the body of Christ in the 1940s and 50s, the reason why the church was growing so much is because they were different than everyone else. It's why when, when a church in Texas withdraws from a Christian because of, a, of an adulterous relationship, a Christian is invited on national TV to answer questions because they want to make a laughing stock of the church. Well, the fact is, that's why we were growing so much. It wasn't because we were knocking on doors. It wasn't because the preachers were preaching these uh, amazing sermons. It was because we were, we were the laughingstocks of the world. Look at these weird people who don't worship like we do, who don't believe like we do. You see, the fact is that the reason why the church was growing is because the Christians were strong. Because they had to be. Because when someone asked them a question, they had to have an answer. Or else it made the church look bad. And nowadays, it's not the case. Now we don't feel that need. I don't know why, but we don't. We don't feel the need to be able to answer those questions. We feel the need to be able to Google those questions. Or to text someone about the question. You see, Peter writes this book to say, you don't use this, this hardship to make you question your faith to the point that you give it up. You don't use these hardships, this, this persecution, as an excuse to leave the church. You use this hardship and this persecution as an excuse to make your faith stronger than it's ever been. I think that's something that we need today. I think that's something that every Christian needs today. And I think what it will do is, is build the church into what God intended for it to be in the first place. And what we've been on the path for the last 2,000 years to get there. And that is a strong, united church where we can encourage one another and strengthen one another and build each other up through the hard times. And that's what First Peter's written for. It's the apocalypse for the common man. Because long before Christians were being put to death in the streets for their faith, long before the Roman government would systematize persecution and would use... Christians in ways that will make you sick to your stomach for enjoyment. Long before that ever happened, and the book of Revelation was written 30 years after the book of 1 Peter, you have a church who is starting to see what real persecution looks like. They're being run from their homes with threat of prison. Understanding that that prison probably would mean death for them in the future. And the Christians then said, we're going to use this to get stronger instead of fall away. I think 1 Peter is a book that every Christian should read on a regular basis and study on a regular basis, especially during the hardest times of our faith and the hardest times of our life. If there's someone here that needs to be baptized for the remission of your sins, let me tell you something. It is not going to be easy. Nowhere in this book, okay? I was talking to uh, someone the other day, and they said, I read the Bible once, once. I read the Bible once. What she meant was, I read the entire Bible once. And I said, well, you're doing better than a lot of people because that's a long book. And she said, it sure is. She said, I don't know how many books are in that book, but it's pretty long. And I said, well, there's 66. She went, wow. And I said, uh, there's 31,102 verses in it. And she said, is a verse a sentence? And I said, no, some verses are 
much longer than just one sentence. She said, well, now I kind of feel good about myself that I read it once. And I said, you probably need to start reading it again, don't you think? She said, yeah, I probably do. You see, this book, nowhere in this book, the the whole book, 31,102 verses, nowhere in here does it say it's going to be easy. In fact, just the contrary. It says verses like, you need to be watchful because the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It has verses in it like, all who seek to live godly will suffer persecution. Nowhere in this book does it say that when you become a Christian it gets easy. That's just simply not the case. What it says is, when you become a Christian, you use the hard times to make your Christianity even stronger than it was before. And if you need to become a Christian, today's the time to do it. We'll baptize you into Christ. You can become a Christian and be saved from your sins. And if you need to repent, please let us know so that we can help you. You see, the, part, the point of worship services is so that we can encourage one another. And it's time that we start doing that. Don't leave here, just walk out and not talk to anyone. Find someone in this building that you can encourage today. And while we do that, let's stand and sing the song of encouragement.